Today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. Welcome to Canceling the Apocalypse. It is a utopia podcast with me, Dom, and Raph, who's him. Hi, I'm here as well, um, in this room. Yeah, if we sound different, it's because we're recording on the floor of my bedroom, a little um, podcast nest that I made with a blanket and some pillows because we are professionals. We're professionals and also we um, want to recreate the feeling, I don't know, something childhood pillow forts. So I wanted to talk about uh, two new texts, but I also wanted to talk about something we talked about in um, in last week's last two... We haven't figured out the posting schedule. I mean, it's clearly not last week's, but in, la- in, in, the, in the last in episode. In the previous episode, in episode two. Um, previously on Cancel the Apocalypse, we talked about uh, hackers and the walkaway. You, you need to give it its full name, which is the 1995 film Hackers. Okay. And Walk Away, yeah, by Cory Doctorow. By Cory Doctorow, which came out two two years ago, I think. Yeah, 2017. Two or three, yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we ranked in our ranking system, which we have because we're good utopians, I guess. Uh, we ranked Hackers above Walkaways and on the train home. I was like, oh, wait a second. And I started thinking maybe it shouldn't be, maybe it shouldn't be a straight up and down system. Maybe there's some flaws in that. No, no, no. I think it's perfect that we just rank works of literature and generally just texts against each other according to this sort of arbitrary scheme that we totally, have devised. Totally, un- like a totally unidentified scheme that we just come up with on the fly. Yeah. Maybe if we can make it more like, like a web so there's different things that different texts do well. I like one that. Of those the things, I like that. One of the things that texts do well is like aesthetics and I feel like Hackers has a really fun aesthetic. Mm. One of the things that texts do well is like, a, I don't know, like a feel of optimism. Yeah. Hope, hopefulness. Yeah. Hopefulness. What what Ernst Bloch, my favourite, calls the utopian impulse. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but to really support the utopian impulse, you need social movements. Absolutely. And Hackers totally fails at that because you have the idea of like some kids having a single win over a single company and like, sure, there's a sense of optimism and, and the utopian impulse there, but it's not, there's no greater movement. And like we pointed out that you know, there's that cool DIY space in the film, but absolutely no thought is given to how that occurs. How it operates, how it functions, and like what further ramifications you can build from that. It's again what Ernst Bloch calls the difference between concrete utopianism and abstract utopianism. It's how very abstract. An abstract utopia in every way. And Walkaways is a concrete utopia. Yeah. It's very much looking at here is how we can, um, here is a, a, a utopia that might exist if these social movements. Uh, are followed to their logical extreme if yeah. uh, you know people are willing to work together for the betterment of society for people who are going to do the difficult and unpopular work of leaving the safe space of what they know and going into something that they don't know that is something I thought the walkaways did really well even though I do still hate Cory Doctorow's writing style and most of the characters rang extremely false to me it's interesting because um, you can you, you can you can be like oh yeah I imagine that if only there was a book that had the kind of like strong political very like straight up political ethos of of walkaways which is all about moving from the actual problems we have now not from some sort of 
imaginary problems that people in the future might have. But, from but actual, extremely specific, detailed, yeah, clear, these are the problems we have now. Yeah, exactly. Like, like to the point where it keeps reciting these like historical connections it has to like Occupy Wall Street and uh, the Gezi Park movement and mm-hmm. everything came from that and so forth. Um, and uh, if only that was written by, in a way that was not at all like Doctor or Stalin, that was written by someone who was not Doctor. I I was wondering about this and I was, I was thinking that perhaps... It might not be able to happen, and maybe no, this is something yeah. we can talk about um, in general in relation to the other tests. Is that is there some kind of is there is there a particular aesthetic or poetics is a word which no one really knows what it means, but like you know, just like the the way that someone writes something um, that that is innately better to create concrete utopianism, and maybe is that is that the kind of slightly pulpy fun, over-the-top, um, not particularly serious, not particularly deep where, thing that... Where, where the, we, what we identified is the Kim Stanley Robinson problem of characters explaining exactly how they feel to each other yeah. is, like, necessary to that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. exactly. Maybe maybe that's the case. I guess maybe it, as we keep looking at utopian texts, maybe we'll find out that, no, there are there were many, many different ways to write concrete utopias. Um, or maybe this is the easiest one. Well, here's an interesting counter. Uh, I wanted to talk about The Hainish Cycle by Ursula Le Guin. Yes. She is uh, an excellent writer who I love all of the books she's written. Um, and The Hainish Cycle is uh, specifically, it's called a cycle. She says, you know, they're not really in a straight line connected to each other and you can read them together or apart and it doesn't matter. But the idea of the, the Hainish thing is that there is... Um, some thousands of years in the future, there is, uh, you know, this federation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they ever call it that, but there's this group of planets that work together and they are all humans. And I, I think the idea is the Hainish are this ancient civilization that seeded, that, yeah. um, that, 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 that put life onto all these different planets around the solar system, the galaxy, essentially as an experiment. See, like, what life would look like on them over time. And the Hainish cycle, the books in it, are about different um, diplomats and anthropologists and historians and activists who are either from those planets or are going to those planets from, you know, the, the Hainish Council or whatever um, to invite them into the thing or explain to them why they're not allowed in the thing or to just investigate how their progress is going. Yeah. And the thing is, again, it's hard. To, is this contract a concrete or abstract, or is it contract somewhere between Perhaps the two? It's contract that where you know we don't actually ever see the Hainish world. We hear about it. No, because it's is it so? Is it? I've only read um, of the Hainish cycle. I can't. I can't remember if we can remember all of the books. But I've read uh, that it's possessed, mm-hmm. and I've read Left Hand of Darkness, which I'm pretty sure is in the Hainish yeah. cycle as well. In fact, I think most of her sort of science fiction-y, like clearly science fiction books are in that. Link, links to the Hainish, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, so, and you've read, you've read others, I I've think. I've read those, and also Four Ways to Forgiveness, um, and Rakanen's World, which was, I think, the early, the earliest one she did that was, that was in this, in this universe, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, and we never, we never see the Hainish world. We meet people from it, and they... So do they still exist? As in, do these, do these original beings who seeded all these planets, do they still exist as like a concrete force? Mm. Or are they well, long not, gone? Well, this is the thing. There's been some kind of break mm-hmm. between 
the ancient civilization that seeded the planets and the civilization now going to them and being like, hey, what's up? I see. And it's unclear whether it was a traumatic break, whether they slowly died out, whether there was a war, what, sure. what happened. And look, this is it. You don't know. You mm-hmm. don't know what happened. What you know is that the Hainish are now technologically advanced enough and, um, I guess, uh, optimistic enough to be going to all these planets and being like, hey, have a whole bunch of medicine and and culture and art and opportunity for travel mm-hmm. if you don't use these weapons. Oh, I see. If you don't use these, essentially, weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. She doesn't use that term. It's like, hey, no nuclear weapons, no mm-hmm. chemical weapons. You guys want to have wars? I guess you got to do that, but you're not allowed super destructive ones. Sure. Um, and so you have characters... Actually, Four Ways to Forgiveness has a character who is from if not the Hainish world, one of the worlds already under it. Mm-hmm. And he has this really um, uh, uh, a, a spiritual connection to the land he's from and this really specific traditional lifestyle of, you know, who he, who he can marry and when and so on and so forth. And he has, to do, he has to marry someone from this particular other tribe. And it's when he comes of age... It's revealed that like his mother was from the Hainish culture, yeah. and this has given him opportunity to go basically to interspace university and do whatever he wants. And do whatever he wants, and he's torn between like, do I stay where I grew up, right. where I'm connected to, or do I go and see all these other truths? Interesting. Mm. Interesting. So, and is this utopian? Like, because clearly the Hainish allow everyone to have their own individual culture. So it comes back to the Star Trek thing of like, yeah. It's it's the future and we're in space, but Russians get to be Russian and aliens get to be aliens. And, yeah, it's, um, it's it's diverse. It, it moves away from that sort of problem of utopias, where it's like it's like it's not a utopia if you've just come up with an idea and make everyone follow that one idea. That's yes. that, that might be your utopia, in which case s- stop doing that. That's the fash. Yeah. That's the fash, but um, it's not anyone else's utopia. Uh, so yeah, you get the sense that under the Hainish world, that they, that they will do good and. The only motivation the Hainish seem to have is that life likes to know itself. They want to they wanna go to all these planets and see what their technologies and their culture are and, and, and learn from them and learn about them and offer them the opportunity to learn. It sounds like there's this um, interesting, potentially problematic sort of um, issue of, of hierarchy, though, right? Because obviously um, the Hainish... So the, you know, the Hainish have seeded these planets and life has developed them mm. developed on them and now they're sort of coming back to to aid them but essentially without the Hainish there these planets would never be be part of the Hainish world right well or, they could they could like um, you know a, m- many of them the dispossessed is about like you know pl- this planet has developed technology so far advanced that and and a civilization so far advanced that this entire other civilization has broken off and moved to moved to they emigrated to another planet nearby and that's where our protagonist is born and lives and grows up and he develops a technology that makes the Hainish go oh shit (laughs) we need to meet this guy because this is going to completely change our project yeah yeah and his technology is referenced in pretty much all of the books it's the Ansible he has developed the Ansible which is essentially I guess the internet yeah I mean it's 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 an instant communications device right yes across any any distance across any distance which is of course incredible yes 
Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's this thing of, like, all these planets have something that is important to the Hainish. Oh, I see that they've developed on all of their own accord. So yeah. it's not it's not just that the Hainish are running experiments and then reaping the rewards. Or exactly. in, I mean, in a way, I guess, that is sort of what they're doing, but it's sort of more like they're running experiments and then they're being like, oh, we need to, we need to, to like, join this into our growing conglomerate. Well, I don't know if you remember, but in Left Hand of Darkness, there's this thing about, you know, this planet has been seeded in such a way with, you know, the biological... Um, alteration that everybody is genderless much yeah. of the month except for when they're at their sexual peak and then they basically like clownfish is it temperature based no it's 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 hormonally based no, so yeah. it's like if you uh, you go yeah, into a yeah. house if you want to like burn down and you you get the impulse once a month to burn down um and yeah anyone might carry or impregnate and and that's it yeah. um and and it, there's a reference by the uh, the the ambassador, I guess, who's is visiting from the Hainish, that they don't know why this was done. So there's no there's this there's this lack of information. There's this lack of connection. It's like, was this an experiment to see? And this is what comes up again and again in the novel, to see if a society could have that there could be a civilization without war. Right. If I if gen- if gendered separation is the thing that causes war, then perhaps we'll try that. I mean, mm. this is two things I wanted to say from this one. One of which is that, um, in a way, yeah, this kind of solves or resolves does something different to the hierarchy problem because mm. um, obviously the the Hainish, the sort of the, the classic science fiction, the precursors, yes, you know, are now long gone, and the Hainish who we have now are very different to those Hainish. They they are probably, I mean, they're clearly very well developed. As a as a as a species, you know, as a species, as a planet, but they're not all powerful in any in they're any not, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and they're and they're, they're they're trying to. They're perhaps they're, they're more powerful. Um, I guess in terms of Ursula Gwynn's own cosmology, which is fascinating in the sense that she was very interested in in Zen Buddhism, in Taoism. In that in that sense, they're the most enlightened ones. Yes. is what it sounds like. You know, like they're the ones who are trying to be like. Life has to know itself. But but when you go to, I forget the name of the planet, but the planet in Left Hand of Darkness, their religion is very much based on Zen Buddhism. Mm. Um, and when you go to the Dispossessed, you know, you have the two planets and one is set up to be, specifically to be a utopia where no one has any possessions and possessions are against the law. Yeah, and so, the name of their founding thinker, Odo, is Greek for road, which is tower, of course. Yes. As well. So, which I like to think of, it's, it's just one of the cheapest puns, really. I mean, you look... Love us, Ola Gwyn, but what a cheap pun. I mean, it's not that cheap. You need to know, like, two different languages there. Yeah, that's true. So, it's pretty pricey. Um, but, yeah, and then in, in, in Four Ways to Forgiveness, it's um, two planets that both have slave cultures, but one is uh, a slave culture that's a matriarchy and one is a slave culture that's a patriarchy. Hmm. Um and how the uh, patriarchal slave culture has moved away from strict, you know, owning of person slaves and, and moved into a corporation-based thing. So it's it really draws this connection between wage labor and slave labor, um, whereas the matriarchal culture hasn't done that yet. And you that there's still a slave culture. And at this point, the Hainish turn up and are like, hey we're not going to make you stop having a slave culture because that's not what we do. Mm-hmm. Stop having so many wars, though. 
Um, I have two things to wait, point out. Wait. You're gonna yeah, because because there's this really interesting argument um, that you know the 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 the, 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 the planet that had the the revolution, the patriarchal patriarchal slave culture that had the revolution is now corporate. The revolution was aided and caused by women and those women's stories have been forgotten and that's like one of the key parts of the ongoing revolution. Oh, I see. So it was women in both. And then yeah, it was women in both. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say? What are your two things? I just really love talking about Ursula Le Guin. She's so good. She's incredible. She is. She is fantastic. I read, a, I read, a, I read a good article recently which was essentially just like don't let them sanctify Ursula Le Guin. She was always so much more like wild and anarchic than she, people are going to make her out to be later. Mad as a cut snake, I love her. Yeah. The two things I wanted to say were, one, that I find it very interesting. You know, so you've got, you've got the Hainish, the, the original Hainish, and they've, they've seeded all these worlds and they're, they're using them all as experiments to try and essentially create better... Better civilizations, better versions of humanity, which is also exactly what Ursula Le Guin is doing in her own books. Yes. Because all of her books are essentially thought experiments yes. in a very sort of like classical, wonderful way, mm. trying to work through the problems of why people can't be better. Mm. Um, and, and this kind of, you know, like she was, she was part of this movement of um, feminist utopian writers called who wrote these critical utopias, essentially, which, which were utopias that criticised not only the conditions from which they came, mm. but also the, the idea of utopia as well. And that was, sort of, that, was, that was the first break where people were like, well, maybe blueprints aren't, aren't that great. Maybe we should try and be more reflexive and more, more sort of... Experimental, experimental and, and yeah. exploratory. Yeah. Um, and I forgot what the second thing was, but I'm sure I'll come back to it later. Yeah. Well, okay, so... Ursula Le Guin is great, and the Hainish cycle is a really interesting experiment of Utopia, both in her experiment and each of the different planets. You know, the Hainish seeding them as different Utopias, and then the people, the civilizations that spring out of it trying to form their own. And I really like how all of the stories, while they're quite different, they, they come back to this idea of um, um, love and, and sharing things with your family and yeah. the family, whether that family comes from somewhere very, very far away, whether that's a different country or planet or civilization, or, you know, yeah, of learning and growing and going on a journey. And the point of the journey is, is rarely, you know, the, you know, what you find there, but it's the, the relationships you make. On Absolutely. The way. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's something that really comes across a lot in, in The Dispossessed, where mm. obviously his whole, like, which is a remarkable book in the way that it synthesizes spirituality or a, a general concept of, of existence and science, because he's a physicist, the main character is a physicist who creates this entire theory based on the fact that that he, it's the it's the everything journey. is connected. Everything is connected. It's a journey that matters, not the place you get to. And it's just like it's remarkable how she manages to actually pull that through a book in really interesting ways. Yeah, you talk you talk to you know any like pure mathematics, high physics, they do sound like absolute mystics. Yeah, they do sound like mystics because the it, I mean, is. it is it's complete mysticism. It's fantastic. It's, it's, it's gnosticism at its highest. And this is essentially where my I guess my only critique. Um, 
comes through, which is that, um, and this is a critique that's specifically weighted at Ursula Le Guin from where we are now, mm. not where she, where she was writing then, uh, which is that for all of her utopias to function, for most of her utopias to function, um, there needs to be a certain amount of free space and quite a lot of spare time because, you know, like the Hainishan are very patient. Mm. They're extremely patient mm. and they've got the resources, i.e., I mean, they did like lose their culture and everything, but they now have the spaceships and everything. They've got the resources. So, for example, the Terrans in, in the Dispossessed that get mentioned, which is, which is us, presumably, or some version of us. Yeah. And um, the Terrans are like, oh, yeah, the Hainish came and saved us because we really fucked up our planet. Um, oh, oh, dear, we did some bad things. Um, and they came and saved us and gave us spaceships, and we are the, they are the only reason that we survived. Good. Um, good. Good. Um, good. That's good. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Which is interesting because we don't get to be rescued by by spaceships and taken away to somewhere where where we can be taught that actually we've been doing things a little bit wrong and maybe if we were given another planet or I think like a bunch of spaceships in the case of the Terrans then we, we would we, we, you know we we do it better we'd work it out this is it's it's one of these things where. I think about, you know, 1968 and all the huge sort of social protest movements and the massive changes that came from there. And looking at those in relation to now, it seems like things were just, things were bad, but things weren't quite so pointed as they are now. Mm. Things seem a little bit more sharp and stick at this point in time. Um, which is why I guess maybe this is sort of the reason why we're, apart from the fact that it's an interesselder quote and it's fantastic and we love Pacific Rim, um, why it's, it's cancelling the apocalypse rather than just like, because like, if you don't cancel the apocalypse, it's, it's really going to happen. It's definitely, it's, yeah. It's on its way. It's here. Yeah. It's, it's basically here. It is just, as you said, unequally distributed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but for her, for her moment in time. I think Ursula Le Guin is, is an absolutely remarkable utopian and, and one, of the, one of the very few people who actively call themselves utopian writers. Mm. Yeah. So would, you, would, we call, would we call what she does concrete or abstract utopia? Because the ones we really see, the civilizations we really spend time with, they're always inherently flawed in some way. They're the ones that are attempting to be... Uh, utopian mm. the ones that set out to be like the one I dispossessed um, I suppose the one in Left Hand of Darkness yeah. you know stuff has gone wrong absolutely um, but they're still like still just a thought experiment yeah true I mean it's 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 definitely it's definitely the a combination of that wrongness or you know or the possibility of of critique self-reflexivity failure that marks off a concrete utopia from an abstract utopia. Mm. Because abstract utopia is, you know, it's pure ideology. It's just yeah. like, yes, this is exactly how it's going to be in a space where I don't have to think about it Nothing in a concrete right. ways, you know? But also, in the sense of their thought experiment, yes, perhaps that makes them less immediate to our time, but at the same time, for the period where she was writing them, I think they, they were talking about very specific... Yes. Issues, uh, gender mostly, which was, of course, Sullivan's big thing. Yeah. Um, but so I think in that sense, yeah, they are trying to present real concrete solutions for real concrete problems. And obviously, 
from biologically being no gender or no, no sex and only you know and only like having sexual diversion at a certain no, point having in the no concept of gender when they get introduced to like male they're like gross yeah biologically just turning everyone on the entire planet a gender is perhaps a bit unrealistic but certainly that is the kind of book that opens people's concept like ideas up to like hey maybe maybe gender gender is a con- construct <gasps> Ooh. Oh, don't know about that. Ursula, so, you've done it again. Oh, Ursula, you dog. Well, see, this is this is you know someone who's really set out to be utopian, to to, to be a utopian writer, to tr- critically think about utopia. And then the second text I wanted to talk about is super not that at all. I'm really excited about this text because I've not seen any of it apart from one short clip you showed to me on YouTube. Yeah. So the second thing I wanted to talk about is the Curse of Oak Island. Now, The Curse of Oak Island, if you don't know, is a reality TV show on the History Channel. So, so you're telling me that the History Channel, that yeah. well-known documentary programming venue, <laughs> has created a reality TV show. What possible reality TV could the History Channel provide for us, Dom? Well, it's in an island... So the Oak Island is an island in... Uh, a real island. It's this a real is island. a reality TV show. It's a reality TV show. It's in Canada. It's one of, like, not a very large island. Uh, you can... There are houses on it. You can drive around. So it's not very small either. The idea is for 60, 70 years, there has been this uh, r- rumor, this story about there being treasure mm-hmm. on Oak Island mm-hmm. buried at the bottom of this... Pit. I have read this famous five. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. It sounds very silly, but the, the Curse of Oak Island it points out that like in the attempt to unearth this thing, because there is a pit, there is a constructed pit that's been filled in by dirt over the years, but there was like a shaft that was full of flood tunnels that got flooded, people died... And apparently the curse is that... But, like, no one, like no one they knew built those tunnels. They were just No, there. they were already there. Yeah. And these tunnels must be at least 100 years old, and yeah. that's an insane piece of civil engineering to undertake. Yeah. And then could be more than 100 years old. We don't know. Because they flooded and people died, and they were people digging up random money. So, basically, the History Channel found, uh, essentially, a family and a group of friends who are, as far as I can tell, all retired businessmen who own most of Oak Island and they run something called Oak Island Tours where they talk about this thing that happened mm-hmm. and they were like, do you want to try and, you know, like, do it? And do you want to try and figure do, it out? Do you, do, you, do you want to make it work? Do you want to try and figure it out? And it's been running for, like, eight seasons. So, and I, I mean, like, so, you know, a family who owns the, the island and therefore, obviously, it is in their interest to monetize... All of this now. In what way do they take it away from? And this is this is what I found most interesting. What you told me. In in, in yeah. what ways is not some sort of terrible crapshoot money making venture? Because it's just super not the point. The treasure, like even though it is like a treasure hunting experiment, the treasure is clearly not the point for most of these men. They've attracted to themselves um, and hired some of them, and some of them just rocked up. A whole bunch of people, like an archaeologist, a geologist, uh, like a treasure, like a, a dude whose um, job is um, metal detecting. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, um, 
and like I said, family. So it's a father and son. Uh, the father is got to be late 80s at the youngest and the son is early 60s maybe. Um, and like the ne- nephew and their friends, there's two brothers as well and they're also, I'd say, 50s or 60s. I'm really bad at telling people's ages. And one of their stepsons and just like, it's just all these dudes with this sole express purpose of learning. They are there to learn what the mystery is because there is all, there is all this mystery. There's all these structures built on the island and these weird carvings. Uh, they're not connected to any indigenous culture. They'll point out that like, like this island wasn't really inhabited by the indigenous Canadians. They like passed it. It wasn't a big deal for them. Um, and yeah, they keep finding weird. So like, like clearly there has been like weird human presence here. Really weird, really weird, like structures that they're like, what, the, what is this? Like the pit, there was this carved head, they're like, what? And there's all these theories that range from like Templars to pirates to... I'm on board with Templars. I'm on board with Templars as well because... Templars is the best theory. They have found like a lot of proper evidence. Anyway, so the, the, the theories are not the point. The point is that it's a reality TV show without any competition. Right. Most reality TV shows have this sense of like, ah, we're against the clock and we're against these other people and we're going to get eliminated. Their premise, they're they're battling against the island Hmm. and the island is full of mysteries and stuff happens all the time where it's like, okay, we're going to put this little submersible camera in the, well, as soon as we find something interesting, the camera stops working and everyone's like, yep, Oak Island. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, all this stuff. And in if it was almost any other TV show, I would think it was being manipulated, you know, it's like, but... But it's a reality show on the History Channel. It's a reality show on the History Channel. But also, enough. I don't think any of those dudes are good enough actors. <laughs> they all, they're all just like lovely, gentle, old dudes who get real excited when they find a coin. It sounds great. This is, this is like this ties back to the whole, like, Ursula Le Guin, there's lots of space and time thing, because... They have a lot of space and time. They have a lot of space and time. They have this whole island. They have years to do stuff. And, like, when the show is not being done, they're, you know, reading the history and they're talking to new people and they're finding new options. And they are all retired businessmen. They all seem to have a lot of connections to businesses in the area. And, you know, when they go get, like, a excavation company they'll mention the name of the excavation company every 10 seconds so i guess there's like a bit of cross promotion which is which is fantastic and yeah they have this a lot of time and money to have to do something really specific and that is learn and to figure out the mystery that's been plaguing people for years and years there was a moment where the protagonists i guess was i guess uh like a really true believer where his brother was a little bit more suspicious the protagonists uh, had a friend pass away, and the friend was an author and historian. And who, who he says, you know, she really introduced me to like the value of history mm. and, and why it's important and why it matters. And that's just so lovely. Exactly, and that that author's son, who's a you know an adult, donates all of his mother's research to the Oak Island Project, saying you know she loved this and she would want you to have it and like so you have these 60 something dudes near tears as they get out a candle and the son's like yeah you know she she got this at this 
place and it meant a lot to her. And he like looks him in the eye and is like, when we learn what's going on here, we're going to light this candle and you're going to be in this room. And I choke up a little bit. It's just really, really sweet and sentimental and good. And oh, it's just, it's right. Because like, I mean... So you see what I mean? It's a utopian project. Mean. It's a utopian project, and and this is this is of course as as as, as we keep pointing out, it's the point of utopias is that is that it's it's not like you know you could write a utopia set on an island called Oak Island, which is like a commune, right? You know, or some sort of like magical community where everyone's everyone's happy creating the little village of Oak Island. Which and, is, and, and collaborative and cooperative, and which is what they are. It's like yeah. every time anything, anyone does anything, they'll bring it and they'll share it with the group and everyone's like, good job. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds like, like it's building a, a community yeah. uh, and a community of knowledge, which I find really interesting. Community, yeah. community aligned with, the, with this idea of discovery, which also ties us into Ursula Le Guin because all of uh, I can't. I don't think any of her characters are sort of like hostile captains or no. violent crusaders, or even, even, or even like a kind of like reformed rogue or anything. They're all like scientists. There's a character in Four Ways to Forgiveness who was a previous army general who, like, you know, fought all these wars. And while he was fighting these wars, his bride passed away, and he goes back to his house, and he's like, "It's so empty." Mm-hmm. And also, like, I have this so much respect for the people we were fighting, even though they're meant to be savages, they're clearly people and they're great. And he, you know, ends up marrying one of the Hainish, and oh. he is the closest you get to, like, a reformed... Because he's, like, a landowner, he owns slaves, and he's like, I, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean interesting as well that this is this is a community that's uh, built uh, so like for example in the dispossessed by Saul Le Guin um, a lot of the the conflict on the anarchist planet comes from the fact that uh, limited resources yeah well I mean I, I mean limited resources is you know is their main problem that's that's the thing that's sort of keeping their civilization from blossoming but the thing that's sort of keeping their civilization insular and keeping it mm, sort of mm. going sideways rather than forward is also the fact that obviously it's a completely um, anarcho-syndicalist uh, society. Um, it is, you, you, there is no real way to, for a single individual to attain actual political power. It just doesn't work that way. There's a computer that essentially just sends people away all the time to various projects so that you can't... Because hierarchy is bad. Because hierarchy is bad. But uh, a lot of the conflict in that book happens from the fact that uh, one of the main characters is a very eminent physicist who's doing very, very important work related to space travel, you know, which is, of course, a really important field for them. And so, obviously, whenever the computer tries to reassign him, someone is going to be like, oh, better shouldn't reassign that man. He's good where he is. And, of course, over time... His, his like scientific credentials amass him personal power mm. which is not the same as political power but mm. in a world where there is no actual political power mm. begins to smell an awful lot like it mm. and it's it's interest and and this is never really resolved in the dispossessed you mm. know our main protagonist leaves because of this conflict leaves and goes to to the other planet the the horrible capitalist hellscape planet um, which looks beautiful and wonderful from from the, outside. The super sexist planet, I remember that Incredibly as well. Incredibly sexist planet. Yeah. Incredibly sexist, and it's got proletarian underclass and everything. You know, it's very much 
Uh, what could it possibly be modelled on? I just have no idea. I can't imagine what she would be making a reference oh, to. Thanks, no, Ursula. No, it's it's a bit obtuse. It's a bit obtuse, Ursula. Yeah, it's so vague. I wish she'd be more clear with her with her discourse. And, and, and then he leaves and he's like, ah, yes, finally, here, this is where I can, my science can blossom. But then, obviously, in the capital of the yeah. it doesn't either. And so, he, and so in, the middle, in the end of the book, he's stuck there between two worlds, you know, between the world where he knows his science will not be respected and the other one where he knows his science will be respected as long as it can be monetized. Yeah. Um, and I think what Secret of Ovalin, from what it sounds like, does in an interesting way is that it's, it, it really creates a world of people, a very small world perhaps, and maybe this is the difference, a very small world of people who who are all vying for knowledge but really aren't competing about it and are mm. really passionate to share because they understand that the more sharing will happen, the more knowledge there will be. Yes. And I mean, look, this is one of the one of the problems of Curse of Ocan as a TV show. I mean, apart from the fact that it's on the History Channel, which... <sighs> And it and it breaks every every five minutes for ads. There are no there are no women. Yes. There's I think you know there are, of the researchers who are based on the island. They are all men, mm. and they're all older men, um, and they're all clearly like middle class men who have a lot of money. Yeah. Um, they're all white. There are no. I've, I've never seen an indigenous person on it. I've never seen a brown person on it. They're no. all white dudes. I think there's like one female construction worker who you see sometimes and they talk to her because they're like, hey, we've got a woman, we better talk to her. And they're like, of course, it's yeah. not that I think they would be, that they're doing it on purpose. No, but it's just, it's just like, like, it doesn't appear that this is necessarily a, and this is interesting, right? It doesn't appear that this is, this is a community that is actively looking for more people. No, it's not. And I mean, it doesn't matter if, if they're men or women. I mean, I, it doesn't sound like they're sexist and will drive a woman off. No. You know? I mean, at, at, at least at least within the, within the sort of, within and the like, show. They, they regularly do talk to, like, fellow researchers or scientists or whatever who are, like, you know, male and female and from various different countries and so on and so forth. But the core group of researchers yeah. who are on the island and are on there every week yeah. all look the same. Well, and this is... So this is the thing where um, if you have a... Um, a community of some kind that is moving towards towards the utopian horizon of some kind, and a, a bunch of different people write about this. Um, there's there's the kind of the magical utopian horizon you're moving towards, and I suppose in terms of the Curse of Oak Island, um, this would be finding what the what the hell happened. What's been going What's on? What's been going on? Sorting it out. Who Working built this? Why? Working out exactly what it was. Maybe also finding the treasure. You know, whatever. It's it, fun. Yeah, like every now and then someone's like, is this gold? No. <laughs> <laughs> it, Still it not gold. Usually isn't, but what it is, is a clue. Yeah, a really yeah. exciting clue to a mystery they, they don't even know the like the full identity of yet. The parameters the, of the, the parameters mystery. Of, yeah. but, then, but then the other thing that you're... you're commons or utopian community or whatever um, needs to have if you want it to grow is kind of interface with the world around it that's porous and nebulous and is created out of passages and doorways um, whether these are real doorways or like metaphorical doorways you know where people can travel through and be like ah okay and then travel back and then in that way your community will sort of just like grow. Its yes. parameters and borders will shift all the time. It's like it's called the sense horizon or something like that. So I wonder if there are people who watch this TV show and then try and like maybe do the same thing. Yeah, 
or, or sign up. Or yeah, go there and be part of it. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's hard to it's hard to say because again, this is this is sort of the other problem within which uh, it's a fucking reality TV show on mm. the goddamn History Channel, mm. um, which is that capitalism, yes. which controls the show and yes. and organizes it yes. and organizes its its workings, hides all of these social relations mm-hmm. from view unless they're specifically part of its plan whatever that might be and and it, it, it's it, narrative it's narrative exactly yeah and we, I don't, don't, we don't we don't get to find out the the, the, the systems of social reproduction that keep this show working yes. you know and this is especially true when it's a reality tv show i'd be really curious to see like what what it was that um like who who at the history channel were like yeah yeah this and i'd also be curious to see like it's very popular because it has like you know a sort of cliffhanger drive and it's a pleasant it's pleasant in like most reality TV shows aren't. And I, even though they spend a lot of money on, you know, depth charges and (laughs) excavations and building retaining walls and whatever. I I mean, I'll be honest with you. If I have a lot of money, depth charges would probably be number two or three on the list of things I would buy. Yeah. 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 I would, I would pay off people's medical GoFundMes, but okay. Okay. You just suck. Well, I was doing it for a joke and now I just feel bad. You know what? No. Fuck all you all. I'm going to sit at home with my death charges. <laughs> fuck you and your preventable diseases. <laughs> you don't understand my depths. <laughs> so, wow, that was the worst joke you've told tonight. So my question to you is, mm. um, rather than trying to rank, rank utopias... Um, what, what would... What can we take away from them? No, well, I mean, yes, what can take away and then never give back and then it'll be ours forever. Very, very, um, I I, I wish I knew the name of the capitalist planet Dispossessed because that would be a great joke. Anaresti, very Anaresti. Thank you. Anaris. What would you do to the secret of curse? Secret? Curse of Oak Island. What would you do to the curse of Oak Island, um, to make it utopian in the way that you see utopias working? I would... Well, okay, this is probably just me. I would bring a lot of kids. <laughs> I would get a bunch of local high schools involved. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, like not every single kid, like kids who want to do it. But um, like there's just so much like groundwork, but also it requires lateral thinking. Um, that if you have a bunch of kids who are like remotely interested in history or maybe, you know... Um, not even history, like like ge- geology or or botany. It's like, oh, this plant shouldn't be here, something like that, because they are bringing together all these different groups. And like that also, maybe again, maybe it's just me, but high schools are some of the most diverse places in the world because people haven't had their edges... Chopped off, chopped off. down, sanded down. Yeah, you've not been um, squished, in, you've not been squished into that round hole mm. uh, as yet. Um... But it fits 85% of all people. What's wrong with it? Uh, oh. I'm sorry. But also, I would definitely, like, again, yeah, the same as I like it. Yeah. I think they mentioned, they've mentioned it once or twice. It's like, oh yeah, there was no indigenous habitation of this. Surely you can do a little bit more with that, guys. Surely, yeah. Um, yeah. I like these ways. Um, I like the idea of children because... It's just, it's not only, you know, uh, when, when you said kids, my first, my first impression was, and I'm sure this is 
happen on some reality TV show I've seen is it's like, and then they brought the school bus along and there's going to be that like that jaunty music and then like lots of kids running and like mucking about and then and then like a cut to the serious adults being like, well, it's just all hands on deck here today. If, if it could be something that isn't that in every way, if, if, if it could be at the level of the children, that would be yeah. incredible. And I think that basically goes for pretty much any television yep. ever. Yep. You know? Yep. I can't think of, of enough TV shows off the top of my head where, where it's like, here are children, they're going to be living in this world, let's talk to them like that then. The only thing I've seen do that well mm. was a documentary called Mad Hot Ballroom, which was filmed in an, a series of New York elementary schools in, I want to say, like 2005 or something, mm. like a while ago. But it was about a ballroom competition done by 8 to 10 year two year olds. And it interviews their teachers and sometimes, um, you know, parents, but mostly it's with the kids mm. to the point where the camera operators mounted their cameras lower so that they were on an eye level with the kids. That is great. That is, that is both metaphorically and physically fantastic. Excellent, excellent film. And that sounds I, really good. I, I recommend it because, again, elementary schools tend to be quite utopian. So everybody's in the society and we're going to share, we're going we're gonna to work together and here's your chance to do an art. But also it is a, a ballroom dancing competition, so it's insane. Yeah. And also, in terms of, because you said also indigenous people, it's like... Um, there's so much that you can get out of absences and omissions yes. that, that you simply cannot get out of actual things because there's surplus information in those things and it, it covers up the absences. Mm. Like, like, find out, talk to some people who have generational roots mm. going back to this area. Why wasn't it inhabited? Or Was maybe it? there aren't any people left with... Roots going back to that area because of the genocide. Killed them all because of the genocide. Yeah, but talk about that because I think that's an interesting thing to do. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think you are right, and those are the those things would make it a better show than it sounds like it already is. It's a really fun show which I enjoy, mm. and I, I saw it and I was like, haha, this is kind of a utopian project, but it is essentially about as utopian as hackers. Well, no, it sounds... It's a bit more, a bit more. I mean, once again, it doesn't It doesn't clearly have any kind of political aim. It's very It's clearly happening in a kind of rarefied, semi-empty, very safe space, which, which doesn't have any of connection to the sort of the problems of the present. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it also, you know, just... Well, yeah, I mean, perhaps just like hackers, it's important sometimes that, that we nurture these spaces for, for escape from which we can come back and then talk about things. Yes. Escape, for the sake of escape, not good, as we... No, we have, we have Star Wars for that. Exactly, which, we which... definitely have Star Wars for that, which teaches us nothing. Nothing. Not, nothing really at all, Ooh. which is astonishing, because it's hours long. White swords. Swing. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I... A lot, of the, a lot of the people in Star Wars are very hot. Extremely attractive. Good hair. I put hours of my of my child life into making zing noises. We had highlighters. They were different colors. We zinged with them, but nothing. Can't really do anything with Star Wars. I mean, a lot of a lot of science fiction um, theorists who study Star Wars for a living are going to disagree with me vehemently on that. But, but hey, nothing. come on to our fucking show. Come on to our fucking show. Come and fight us about Star Wars. I'll tell you what, though. Mm. Um, you know, in the new Star Wars, there's John Boyega. You know what else John Boyega is in? 
Attack the block. Pacific Rim 2, you dingus. But also attack the block. Yeah, but that's not that utopian. It is not. It is actually, I don't know, I can disagree. A little bit. Okay. How about we do We do one that's one... The John Boyega special. John Boyega week. Okay. Yeah, excellent. Absolutely. I'm down with that. Uh, attack the block and Pacific Rim 2. And We're I gonna think... We're going to shake. We're shook. Terrible for radio to shake hands. But we have done it though. We we will get some independent witnesses to corroborate our our handshake. We won't. No, we won't. Um, Take our word for it. Okay. This um, has been Cancelling the Apocalypse, our Utopia podcast that we do together uh, yeah. and that we share with you. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you have strong opinions about Star Wars, come at us. Please, please, we're ready. We're ready for you with our light swords. I'm actually just going to kick you in the legs. Ching! Ching!